Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk about college basketball, a little bit of the NBA, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 211. But we're not talking about any football in this week's episode because... There is no football to talk about yet until the XFL and the USFL start up. I do want to briefly chat about Texas and Oklahoma potentially moving to the SEC. There's been some some rumors circulating that, again, they're going to be leaving early uh, at the end of 2024 instead of waiting uh, through 2025, which that's uh, neither here nor there right now. I don't really care. But when they do join, they kind of break this record that Alabama currently holds because Alabama has a winning record against every other team in the SEC. However, when Texas specifically joins, Alabama will no longer have that record since Alabama is two and seven and seven ties against Texas and two, three and one against OU, which you don't really care about here. Texas has a winning record against Oklahoma since Oklahoma is joining. However, it does not have a winning record over Vanderbilt or South Carolina. So therefore, for any team to claim to have a winning record over every other SEC team, Either Texas needs to get six wins over Vandy and two wins over South Carolina while maintaining their current streaks, or Alabama just needs six wins over Texas um, and two wins over OU. So, fun fact, we're, we're uh, messing up some more stuff by moving Big 12 teams into the SEC. Surprise, surprise. It, it, it will probably take Texas exactly six games against Vanderbilt to have a winning record against them. They are awful these days. <laughs> I don't know. If you can lose to Kansas, you can lose to Vanderbilt. Can you? Kansas is be- even previous to this year, Kansas is better than Vanderbilt. Even 2019 Kansas is probably better than Vanderbilt, but not yes, by much are. at that point. They, they are Vanderbilt, than Vanderbilt was pretty good, th- or not pretty good, but like serviceable this past I year. I think they won one game. Let me look here. SEC standings. Can I can I do this? Uh, SEC standings. Vanderbilt. They went. I guess they did go five and seven. Yeah, that's respectable. Yeah, that's not that that's much worse better than, than KU throughout a couple years. Like literally a couple years, they didn't have that many wins combined. But but in previous years, they were not that good. Let me look this up. Anyway, you guys can talk about other things while I'm ripping on Vanderbilt football. If you want, I don't know. I mean, some of us might end up ripping on like the latter half of Cyclone men's basketball this week, but we'll jump into that. The The start of the week was a good week for the Cyclones. You know, another up and down week as as it goes. Uh, as of late, they handled TCU at home. Uh, there was a lot of energy that this team had going into this game. Uh, I think the lo- coming off of that losing streak, that, that home loss to Oklahoma State, uh, gave this team a little bit more want. And then this was Jazz's for like, this was the coming out party for Jazz Coons again. Like, coming off of that injury, it took him a couple of games to get back into the groove of things, as to be expected when you're sidelined for how many weeks? Six weeks for that injury. But 22 points, he was shooting the ball well from deep. Uh, and TCU just didn't have any answers for it. Now, TCU was still without Mike Miles, who is the catalyst of their team. Uh, it was a good thing he didn't come back against the Cyclones because in the very next game, Mike Miles did come back and TCU put up 100 points on Oklahoma State. So Iowa State could not contend with that type of team. But overall, uh, it was a good win, a good bounce back victory for this team. A couple of the highlights out of this game, though, Ultimately, the team stayed out of foul trouble, which was huge, especially coming off of the previous two losses when this team was constantly in foul trouble in both of those games uh, against West Virginia and then Oklahoma State uh, foul trouble across the board for the team. You know, they they kept they played really solid defense, but they also didn't have a bunch of calls, you know, that were called. Now, is that them playing at home? getting the benefit of the doubt, you know, this defense, this defensive strategy doesn't seem to travel well. I'll say that in, in which they don't get a lot of calls in their favor on the road. Um, maybe the games are co- called a little more closely, but at home, they're allowed to play a little bit more freely. And this was 
you know, the result of that. Uh, Taman Lipsy has has hit a little bit of a wild streak, I would say, over, especially in this week. Too many turnovers for him in this game. A lot of errant passes, some lazy passes as well that were just easily picked off by such an athletic TCU team. Um, but that's really the highlight is going into the big 12 tournament and into March madness in general, he needs to solidify that some more being the primary ball handler for this team, right? Uh, the ball is in his hands, you know, a lot, especially it, you started to see a lot more teams, uh, full court press against this team due to the number of turnovers that Lipsy can have in a, on a given night. So he's really got to clean those up, be a little bit more sure handed with the ball and not be as rushed and be more deliberate in those situations overall. Um, one like fun fact coming out of this and then I'll, I'll toss it to, to, you know, Mike or Ariane or way, if they have any other thoughts from the TCU game, but a fun fact, bonus fun fact for the day is TJ Otzelberger now has 12 wins over eight P top 25 teams in his two years at Iowa State. Uh, he is tied now for fourth all time with you, Stacy, uh, for Iowa State coaches as a whole. So Johnny Orr is first with 24. Uh, Fred Hoiberg second with 23. Steve Prome, uh, the former coach of Iowa State. Uh, is third with 17 and then obviously TJ with 12. So he is well on his way to continuing that, especially with the level of talent and recruiting that we're bringing in, you know, this season or next season, excuse me. But there are a couple, a couple more games where there are opportunities to do that so far this season. We'll see if they can, but are there any other thoughts on the TCU game as well? Other than what I pointed out? Um, <clears throat> Yeah, definitely. There, all those coaches are actually former Cyclone coaches, believe it or not. Um, but well, okay, <laughs> sorry, thank you. I meant Steve Pro was the, <laughs> the last one. Last <laughs> one. Uh, uh, in that TCU game, you mentioned Taman. It was interesting looking at the box score. He shot the ball two times in that game. We won. It was good. He just didn't have to do that, and I feel like. That's almost how you want him to operate more than if he has to take on a lot of offensive load because his game is still developing. He doesn't have much of a jumper. Um, if uh, Jazz Coons has been fantastic for the past couple of games, if we could give a little bit of that back to, uh, you know, Gabe and uh, Holmes, that'd be fantastic because they've both been struggling with their shooting a lot. Um, but yeah, I was happy to see us get it done where we need to. You mentioned difference in whistle between home and away. I am not a huge fan of that. Honestly, I, I don't want an easy whistle at home because that just results in us going out and fouling the bejesus out of people on the road or in the tournament, and then we're going to be in foul trouble and not know how to play. So I would definitely prefer a more standardized whistle so that we can understand you know, how our defense is supposed to be set up and not have shifting goalposts. And and you mentioned Lipsy with only those two shots, right? But the key in that game is he made those shots, right? Lipsy mm -hmm. was very, very efficient. I mean, less the turnovers, which are a problem. But if Lipsy goes two for two with six points every game, that that's fine. We don't need more of that from Lipsy. We have enough other scorers that he does not need to be a high volume scorer for this team, as long as he's efficient. Yeah, ideally, not as many turnovers as points would be awesome. That, that's true. But I'd much rather take his, his two for two with six points um, than his three for seven with nine points that he had um, against K-State, personally. Give the shots to other people. Granted, against K-State, it didn't matter, and we'll get to that in a second. But, um, yeah, I, efficiency, I mean, it's the key for every player, right? No one on this team is good enough to be shooting bad shots, right? We don't have a um, we don't have a guy who just every shot he takes, you're like, I'm okay with that because he's the guy, right? Guess, we don't have like Brockington was last year. Where he just takes a long two, and it's just like that's fine because it's gonna go in more often than not. We don't have a player like that this year. I would so. I would argue Grill is that guy for us. Like he just those are his shots. He just makes 
contested threes are like what he takes. So even though you don't love it when he takes it, you're like, well, that's just that's the shot he always takes. So he's our one guy, I think, that just takes hard shots all the time. And you're like, well, you live with it because he'll make them sometimes. And you beat number one in the country if that happens. Yep. I mean, granted, North Carolina might not make the tournament anymore, yeah, so that maybe certainly doesn't look as good as it did know. at the time. But I just look at those numbers and uh, I'm like, number one, we we ruined their whole season. That's how I choose to view that. Pretty much. It only went downhill from there. Caleb Grill ruined North Carolina forever. Good job. That would be, that would be an accomplishment. The other thing to note from that TCU game is Grill was not in the starting lineup. Um, Kuntz replaced Grill in the starting lineup. And Grill only played 12 minutes in that game. I think a fair amount of that was due to injury. He's still bothered by that back injury, um, so much so that he missed the K-State game on Saturday, um, which could have had some of, led to some of the issues um, that Cyclone saw. But that's something to keep an eye on going forward, is what's the starting lineup look like and how healthy is Caleb Grill? He's a key piece to this team, as we talked about last time he missed some games. Um, so it would be great to have him back for the upcoming games this week. Because he's, yeah, he's key to the defense, and he's just another scorer out on the floor that Robert Jones or um, really the person who took most of his minutes um, in the K-State game was Watson. And Watson's just, he's a freshman. He'll get there. He's just not good right now. Yeah. He's just not. If Watson is playing 10 minutes, this, that, that's not good for this team. It's not. So, um, moving on to the K-State game, I think we, we've hinted at most of it, but the offense was just not there. Um, Jazz Koontz, again, had a great game. Well, I won't say a great game, but a very solid game. He scored 15 points, but it was 4 of 10 shooting. But that was one of the better shooting performances on the team. Um, Jalen Holmes went 2 for 16 and only scored 5 points. Gabe Kalsher did score 11 points, but it was on 4 of 14 shooting. Um, you can make an argument that this was the worst offensive game of the year for the team. Um, that you could, uh, depending on what offensive statistic you look at, it was. Some say it was right up there with like the Iowa game and the, uh, the UConn game. But um, yeah. That's, it was just, just a poor offensive game. Couldn't get anything going offensively. Again, mostly stayed out of foul trouble. Um, but you did, uh, you did turn the, you lost the turnover battle. You turned the ball over 15 times, only generated 11 turnovers. Six more turnovers for Lipsy in that game, especially quite a few down the stretch when we just needed to, when, when you couldn't turn the ball over. Um, so... Um, yeah, it was just, just an ugly game all around. I mean, you held K-State to 61 points. This team is going to win more often than not when they hold their opponent to 61 points. But the offense was just, couldn't do anything in the second half. They only scored 24 points the entire second half. So that was just not, yeah, it just, just wasn't there. And like I said, Grill did not play due to that uh, that back injury, which certainly was a factor. Yeah, I mean, scoring 21 points in the second half is an issue. That's a huge issue. When you score 31 in the first half, I, I mean, I was sitting there watching this game and I was like, you know, the first one to 60 points, like the first team to 60 is probably going to win this game. Um, and... I forget, did any teams actually make it to 60? 61 to 55. Yeah, so there you go. The first team, or the team that made it to 60 won this game. It Overall, I think, as I've said and alluded to, you know, during the TCU uh, segment, talking about that was, Lipsy just needs to be under control more. At the end, of, at the in the first half, he was all over the court. He was... Uh, diving out of bounds for loose balls. He was he was really after it and on it. He played a phenomenal first half that was a really big spark for this team when there wasn't a whole lot of shooting. But at the end of the game, he kind of collapsed. Um, and he was throwing errant passes. He was pushing too hard. Um, he had a horrible, horrible like foul in the back 
like in the backcourt that allowed the best free throw shooter in the league to go and make two free throws to put this team or put them ahead by seven instead of five at that point with like two minutes left. You needed a defensive stop and you gave them free two a free two points. Um essentially. It's just it showed a lot of like freshman inexperience there at the end of the game. I'm not saying it's all on him. It is on this team. I five of twenty seven from three. This team was just cold. My issue is quit launching threes. If you are five of twenty seven from three, you need to force the issue. Yeah, Jaron Holmes was getting to the basket. I will say there were a few drives in which he got to the basket, maybe got a lot of contact, and and it wasn't called that way. So it it went from everything was being called at, at West Virginia to now they were letting everything play. Uh, K State was getting some of the easier call or like the the easy whistles, um, but in the end, you this team. When there aren't a lot of scores on the on the court all at once, I mentioned that and I threw it into our group chat. I was like, "There's not a lot of scoring on the floor right now." They they needed to find a way to go get those points differently instead of settling for horrible shots the whole time. Um, and and that was that was the biggest issue, really. I mean, thirteen offensive rebounds is great, but you have to capitalize on some of those as well. One thing that I We'll say I think that Lipsy almost got overhyped at the beginning of the year. It felt like every game he played well. People had to every game that's on TV. We have to say yes, it's Monte Morris, it's Tyrese Halliburton. Like the kid's a freshman and he's not on that level. Monte wasn't really on that level when he was a freshman. I mean, he was good, but he got way better by the end. Um, And you know, he he's been good, but he is a freshman. Like. It happens. It's more or less the rookie wall. The The Big 12 is very hard to play. In. So you, you can't expect him to do everything all the time. I, I think there are times where maybe we should look more to Holmes to do some of the ball handling. He is a capable ball handler. And if it's a high stakes, you know, moment, there are definitely times where you need to give Lipsy that to get that experience. But a fifth year senior also should be able to take the reins sometimes and work. What I would like to see more of is a two-man game with him and Oshuni. Uh, Oshuni is another issue that I saw in the K-State game. You look at this, and he had two of four for four points. And it's like, what are we doing? I'm, I see he played 25 minutes, but he didn't really do too much out there as far as scoring goes. Like you said, we're so cold from the outside. We don't have any jump shooting. K-State's not a terribly big team. We need to get him down low, and he needs to establish himself down there to open up the defense. Like, once guys suck into you, you can now get the ball out, and we have better looks. I was hoping he would be more, I guess, just commanding with his scoring, being so skilled around the basket, but I haven't seen that. I have not seen it more times than I have seen it. I would like to see him get up seven shots a game especially when Gabe's 4 or 14. Robert Jones had five. Yeah, in 15 shot minutes. <laughs> so I, th- I, I think this the only ball, person who like, shot less needs, than him was Watson. The ball needs to get into the post more. I think we need to, to try and work in and out. I, I will say a lot of like Osh- Oshuni's shots of late uh, what's been noticeable is Lipsy's ability to drive the ball and, and have a really good dribble drive and then a lob or a dump off to Oshuni under the basket for an easy easy two. But there were a few times where he got the ball and he's just at the top of the key and he's passing it and then the ball never goes in and this team is yeah. settling. Like, get the ball into him, guys. Come on. I, we This team, it feels like when something isn't working... They are dying to make it work. Like, it's trying to fit that square peg into a round hole. They're like, well, it's going to fit one way or another. <laughs> We're just going to make it work. And it just wasn't working. Like, do something different. I, I don't know. The other, the other thing that I was just thinking of when we were talking about Damon Lipsy here and his 
you know, how he was a little possibly overhyped at the beginning of the year. Yeah, he showed some flashes. It, it's great, but he's a he's freshman. Good. He's, he's really good. He's still like he's still learning. Are we are we sure that he's going to be the primary point guard for this team starting next season? Like, is that potentially that Jeremiah Williams when he's healthy? I doubt it. He's not going to play this year, right? No, right. I'm saying next, next like going in next season. I mean, I'm going to just pump the brakes on the talking about next year competition. This is a conversation. This is a top 16 team. Let's focus on this year. That's, that's my take. Let's not worry about next year right now. Yeah, that's fair. But the, the, other, the, the other point I want to make on Oshuni, right, is K-State, unless I'm wrong, doesn't have a dominant big, right? They don't. Like, right? why, was, we should, why could we not just throw lobs to him all day? Like, do they have a 6'10 guy who can compete with them? Yeah. I don't think Na- so. Naquan Tomlin, who played 22 minutes, he's 6'10. Okay. But, like, other than that, no. <laughs> they have another 6'10 guy who played some minutes. Uh, I don't know who that is. 11 minutes, but, like, nobody who's going to be so dominant that Somebody who has one of the best post-move bags in the Big 12 shouldn't be able to get a shot off. Yeah, but I mean, some of that was the, the low minutes Oshuni played too, right? Oh, no, he did get to 25, 25 in this yeah. game. That's about normal. I was thinking of the, the TCU game. He only had like 19 minutes. He was in um, foul trouble. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really don't know why he was just a non-factor in that game, but... I think to me that and Grill's absence are the two two things that went wrong in this game. So yeah, we've definitely seen. Regardless of if he is on, if the grill is lit per se, or if he's just like off, he just has an effect on the team. Grill does. Like we just play better when we have him. We do. Um, but Saturday, uh, Sun. Uh, yeah, Saturday was not a uh, a total loss for the um, Cyclone basketball team, there was some good news. And that came courtesy of the selection committee, which um, they have now have the tradition of every weekend, the weekend after the Super Bowl, comes out and does their, their top 16 ranking from the official committee. So essentially they give who their one through four seeds are. And Iowa State was um, – surprisingly high in that at least i was surprised by how high iowa state was they came in as a three seed at number 11 which is obviously very encouraging and i think the committee showed how think how strong they think the big 12 is kansas was a one seed texas and baylor were both twos and iowa state and k-state were both threes so obviously the committee thinks very very highly of the big 12 was what i got out of that so yeah that was it was good to see um so historically Teams that uh, every team that has made the top 16 ranking um, at this point has made the NCAA tournament. Um, so I think that partially confirms what we already knew. This team is going to the tournament. Um, the lowest seed that anybody who was ranked in the this top uh, top 16 has gotten is a nine. So um, I think it's highly likely that this team is. Um, I mean, this team is probably going to be an eight seed or better at the worst case, um, even if they lose what would be six in a row um, to end the year. Um, I don't think they are, but even if they do, they'll probably still be an eight or a nine seed. Um, This team is in a very, very, very good place, um, despite all the ups and downs and frustrations. I really, you can't complain that much about being a three seed with six games to go or five games to go in the regular season. Yep. I agree with all that. I mean, there there are some tough games ahead, right? Still, sure, you still got to go to Texas and Baylor at some point yeah, this year. So, but there there are some winnable games in the Big Twelve tournament, right? It is Hilton South, so this team could rattle off a few more wins. Um, but I would like to see this team, you know, prepping for the Big Twelve tournament and March Madness. A get Caleb Grill healthy, which hopefully we did against K State. And then B, just work with Tame and Lipsy a little bit and reinforce um, the him to you know just take take everything as it comes to him. 
but also don't don't get in too big of a hurry. Um, I think that is going to pay off dividends going forward for this team. Um, but right now, yeah, we, if if he's not going to be a, an absolute scoring threat, we can't have him then hurt us by turning the ball over a bunch. So um, I, obviously the scoring isn't going to improve this year. So we got to f- focus on uh, the turnovers. So reel those in a little bit and then this team should be able to to play well it's just the frustrating thing is they they blew another double digit lead on the road right uh in a game that they weren't expected to win going into it it's more so devastating for our hopes you know you get you get your hopes up and then at the end of the game it's like yeah we lost we were supposed to loss lose by about this many points anyway but it's just the frustration and the heartbreak of Hey, we had a double digit lead and we only scored 20, 21 points in the second half. Ouch, that hurts. Yeah. I think that anybody who is going to make their money on picking who the good team in the Big 12 is this week is not going to do well because it seems week to week you'll see teams play super tight games against each other at home, on the road. And then all of a sudden these teams just get blown out by somebody that they already blew out. And it, it really is hard to tell what's going on or what's going to happen week to week. So sure, we have winnable games and we have games that, you know, are supposed to be really tough, but man, anything can happen and anything has happened this season. So I would not be shocked. Yes, at Texas is going to be tough, but they had to go to overtime to beat OU at home. OU is a below 500 team. They're a 13 and 14 team overall. So is it going to be tough to go into Texas and win? Sure. Can we do it? Absolutely. So we'll see on that. Um, and that Texas game is what's up next. That's on Tuesday on Longhorn Network. Um, so probably not a game any of us are going to be able to watch. I'll find it. So, yeah, we'll have to figure out a way, watch highlights afterwards, listen to it, listen to the call on Cyclone Radio Network. Um, that could be an option too. So. Um, and then the second game for the week is a home game against OU. That's 11 a.m. Um, on Saturday. TV is still TBD, which means technically the game time is probably still TBD. Um, but I assume it's at 11 unless you hear differently. And it'll probably it'll be on one of the ESPNs, um, either either ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, or ESPN+. Plus. So. It'll be somewhere on the ESPN networks, 11 a.m. Saturday, Oklahoma. There's only two weeks left in the regular season. Like the Big 12 tournament is two and a half weeks away, and the NCAA tournament is three and a half weeks away. So it's crunch time here. It is crunch time here. And uh, the women were definitely uh, feeling the crunch time and feeling it, and they performed. It was a phenomenal week for the women's team, a great rebound from the bad week they had previously. It started off um, with a win on Monday, 66 to 61 over the 17th ranked and currently leading the Big 12, Texas Longhorns. Um, Ashley Jones led the team with 24 points. This is a game the Cyclones jumped out to a big lead um, against Texas and then almost let it back up. They were up 15 with uh, seven minutes left in the game. And uh, Texas crawled within three at one point um, before the Cyclones put them away. So that was a good win um, recovery for the Cyclones. And then they backed it up in a two-overtime instant classic victory over Baylor on the road in Waco. Um, uh, The team didn't shoot great, only 36% from the field and 35% from three. Ashley Jones was held quiet for the first three quarters of this game. Um, and then came alive in the fourth quarter and overtime. Uh, Lexi Donarski hit a game-tying three with less than 30 seconds left in the first overtime to uh, send that game to a second overtime. And from there, she and Ashley Jones just took over, scoring all of the Cyclones' points in the second overtime to pull out the 81-77 double overtime victory. Just a great performance from the Cyclone women to put them – really back in in a fairly good position in the Big 12. They're back in third in the Big 12 standings. They probably won't catch Texas or Oklahoma, who are both 12 and 3 right now. Um, 
but they are in they are still in in a, in a very good position and hopefully putting themselves back in a good position for that um top four seed in the NCAA tournament. Coming up this week for the Cyclone women is a 5.30, or sorry, a 6.30 Wednesday game at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is currently tied with the Cyclones in the Big 12 standings. So that's going to be a huge one as it's going to come to Big 12 tournament seeding. And then the second game is a home game against TCU, and TCU is so terrible. They're 7-18 and 18 on the year. Um, that'll be a 5 p.m. game on Saturday. Both of those women's games can be seen on ESPN+. Plus. So hopefully we can have winning weeks for both Cyclone basketball teams. Arian, what else is happening in the world of basketball? Yeah, so we are currently on the All-Star break right now. So not that much happening in the NBA. But I thought I would just run down the list really quick of we had kind of fun competitions last night. Uh, we're filming this on Sunday night, so the All-Star game is happening as we're recording. But uh, on Saturday, uh, the winners of their random competitions, they had the skills competition, uh, the hometown jazz team, which was made up of Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, Clarkson and Walker Kessler. Or is it Kessler Edwards? One of the Kesslers. <laughs> Uh, they beat Team Probably Walker Kessler. I think it's Walker Kessler, but I get confused. Uh, team Antetokounmpo, which was made up of the Nassus, Alex, and Drew Holiday because Giannis was injured. And then the rookie team, which was Paolo Bancaro, Jabari Smith, and Jaden Ivey. Uh, the three-point competition was won by Damian Lillard. Surprisingly, he has not won one before, uh, but he beat Buddy Heald and also Pacers teammate and former Cyclone Tyrese Halliburton in the finals. Uh, and then the dunk competition was pretty fun this year. Uh, G Leaguer uh, just signed by the 76ers, I believe, Mac McClung won the dunk competition. Six foot two white kid, looked tiny next to all these six foot eight dudes, but he just put down just nasty dunk after nasty dunk. Definitely go and check out the highlights if you haven't seen it. He went up against Trey Murphy of the Pelicans in the finals. And uh, the other two people who were competing were Jericho Sims of the Knicks and Kenyon Martin Jr. of the Rockets. And that is all I got so far. Um, Yeah, that's what I got. We'll move on to the rules. What you got for us this week, Mike? Yeah, so what may have gotten lost in the shuffle of all of us talking about Cyclone basketball but cannot be... um cannot be forgotten about is that pitchers and catchers and for most teams position players have reported to spring training in the last week. Baseball spring is here. Baseball is right around the corner and it is exciting to see. Now with baseball getting started, um, the MLB is debuting a lot of new rules this year. Um, and they'll start in the first spring training games, which happened this week. I know the Twins have their first game on Friday. Um, so I presume a lot of other um, teams do as well. So wanted to let you know on all the new MLB rules. So you're ready when you start watching spring training games or regular season games that'll start in a little over a month. Um, the first rule is the pitch clock. There is now a pitch clock in Major League Baseball. Um, The pitch clock, essentially what it's doing is uh, it's trying to increase pace of play. If no runners are on base, the pitcher must deliver the ball within 15 seconds of um, receiving the ball on the mound area or 20 seconds um, with a runner on base. if they do not do if they do not pitch in time, it will be an automatic ball. Um, in conjunction with this, the batter must also be in the batter's box, ready to hit when there are it's either seven or eight seconds left on that clock, or it can be called an automatic strike. Um, so you should really see this increase the pace of the game um, here a little bit. Um, and a, the last bit of that rule is that pitchers can only step off the rubber twice um, in between given pitches. 
um, doing so a third time without successfully picking off the runner will be called a bark, and all runners um, can advance. So they're also trying to limit throws over um, as part of that rule. Do, do you guys want to react to each of these individually, or me go through all of them, and then you react I to do. the I, I have one one thought, and I want to see if we're all in agreement here. I think with this rule, pitch the you know the pitch clock um, and the the limited number of steps off the bag in uh, conjunction with another rule that we'll probably talk about here soon is we're probably going to see a lot more steals this year, right? Runners are going to be able to time some stuff a little bit better. Maybe only because it'll be just a different pace. I don't know if that'll be a, a long-term trend because of these rule changes. I, I I will say that originally when they were proposing a pitch clock a couple of years ago, uh, before they implemented it in the minors, I was not a big fan of this change. Um, however, after going to a couple of AAA level games this past year that weren't running the, the pitch clock, I didn't really notice much of a difference from a fan perspective or just watching the game. So I'm open to it, I suppose, but originally I was pretty staunchly against a pitch clock. Right. I was I was more so thinking that if a pitcher had already stepped off the bag twice, that base runner could get a larger lead off of, say, first base. Um, and then once that pitch clock, if that pitch clock winds down all the way to like two or one, they might as well just go. Yeah, I I don't think we'll see... I don't think we'll see a ton of difference in it, honestly. I feel like for the most part, it probably will not affect the game or most pitchers. Uh, there will definitely, I feel like with all these rules, it's going to be certain guys in certain cases that tend to take a long time that we'll see the biggest issue with. But I'm, I'm not a huge traditionalist for baseball. I'm pretty casual. I just like to watch it. So I don't have a huge problem with any rule changes as long as it's reasonable. I think it's going to it's gonna impact those veteran guys a little bit more. Say like yeah. a, a Zach Granke, maybe uh, potentially Clayton Kershaw. I suppose just to cl- clarify my stance real quick, I'm not against the rule. But I'm also not for it either. Like I'm not a big fan of this, but I'm not. I'm not speaking out wholly against it like I was what two or three years ago when we were first talking about this. Yeah, and I agree that it'll affect the veterans the most because all of the young pitchers have had this in the minor leagues, like Wyatt mentioned. That's true. So they're already they're already somewhat used to it. Um, I'm a fan of the pitch clock part of it. It showed to have worked in the minor leagues. Um, minor league games decreased by an average of 19 minutes per game, the ones with the pitch clock. Um, so it was effective in the minor leagues. I'm not sure I'm a fan of the, the, the limiting the pickoffs rule. I get that you kind of have to do something. Otherwise, with runners on base, pitchers will just use it to abuse the clock. But I feel like that changes the game a little too much for my liking. But if you have to do something like that to get a pitch clock in, I don't know. I still don't love it, but I guess I'm okay with it. But big, big fan of the pitch clock in general. We don't need a minute between pitches. We just don't. Get the ball, get on the rubber, and throw. I'm also a fan of forcing the batter to get in the box. Like Juan Soto enough with the theatrics before you get in the batter's box. Just get in there and hit, man. All right. What you got for our next rule? The next one is going to be one Kyle alluded to. They're actually um, increasing the size of the bases. Um, So the bases are going to be larger this year. Um, bases have previously been 15 square inches and now they're going to be 18 square inches. I'll let you all do the math on that, but bases are going to be slightly larger. The theory behind this one is it will decrease injuries. I'm not quite sure why they think it's going to do that, but that's one of the theories. And then they also think it will increase stolen base attempts because, you know, batters have six less inches to run, um, which doesn't seem like much, but it's, it's a significant amount when it comes to major league games. Um, I don't know if it'll have the desired effect, but that's the theory. Thoughts on this rule change? I, I will say I saw someone's initial reaction on Twitter. I forget the player itself, but uh, they were, um, they, they, their opinion was that the bases look like pizza boxes now. Uh, that, that was Alex Cora. 
was that oh that was alex cora the manager so i i don't know i think the theory is that the uh, per the injuries that mike alluded to i think they're trying to reduce that on first base where say your first baseman gets his foot up on the bag and and the base runner comes down the first base line and you know steps on that foot causing an ankle injury foot injury what have you uh potentially the pitcher in a similar situation there i'm not exactly sure you're gonna see um you know that much of an actionable difference uh i am interested to see how it changes base running a little bit for the stolen bases um like we've said i think these are all just rule changes and we I don't know if we'll just in our day to day like pace of just watching games, we'll see, you know, actionable uh, differences like ultimately, except for, you know, a reduction in a game time of like 20 minutes. But I think these will be rules where we'll have to look at, you know, some of the stats over the season and say, oh, hey, base running stolen bases went up by, you know, 5% maybe this year compared to years prior. So. Yep, I looked at a picture. I was looking at a picture of the new base versus the old base. Honestly, it is bigger than I thought it was going to be. I knew they were bigger, but that is a sizable difference for sure. I guess I've just never heard of the issue that they're trying to fix. Like, you know, it was all the in the NFL this year. Everybody was complaining about turf versus grass. What's more injuries, this, that, and the other. I don't feel like I've ever heard baseball players talking about too many injuries because of small bases, so... Just are we fixing a problem that we didn't know we had? I think Kyle's Kyle's right that their theory is first base, but I I don't see much of an impact. And I don't see much of an impact on other bases either. So I think it's just first base and, you know, the occurrences of that happening over the past, just say, sample size of five years. I can really only remember in my head hearing of like four or five so if we're trying to reduce those to zero i don't know if we're trying to reduce them to zero throw the second running bag up there yeah play it like little league sure there you go i'm I'm not necessarily opposed to that either i would prefer that over but... changing the size of the bases i think this this seems, seems, to me seems silly yeah and i agree I, I think i think for me i don't know i think this one is more I think this one's probably the one that's you're not going to see the full impact until the 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 end of the season, you know, yeah. what this actually changes. I think the pitch clock and and all of that you'll see you'll be able to see on a daily basis. Um, you know, but the the bases you're really going to have to look at this at the end of the season, maybe at the All-Star break where are we at stolen bases wise compared to last year. This one like I said seems silly to me, but I'm not like staunchly against it. Um, it, it's yeah, just like I the other agree. rule. It's kind of, kind of whatever. I I really do kind of yeah. like your proposal, Wyatt, mm-hmm. of the 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 base running bag. Um, I would rather have the second bag than increase. The so size of the Rob Manfred, um, I know that you're absolutely awful, and we all hate you here for the most part. Um, but please consider this. Thank I don't you. hate Rob Manfred, but I don't think he's good for baseball. But I'm glad he listens to this podcast. Shout out to you, Rob. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. The third rule, and in my opinion, the most significant rule change is that defensive shifts are now banned. They're going to do this um, by saying that you now have to have four players um, on the infield dirt or the grass inside the dirt, inside the dirt, um, and that you have to have two players on each side of second base. So gone are the days where left-handed hitters, you've got a first baseman, a second baseman who plays short right field, and the shortstop playing second base. Gone are those days. That's not happening anymore. You have to have two feet on the infield dirt or in front of the infield dirt in the case you like fielding a punt, Um, and two on each side of the infield. Now, this does not preclude you from bringing in an extra infielder from the outfield. Sometimes that'll happen with like a runner on third late in games. Um, you'll bring in the extra out, bring in an extra infielder. That will still be allowed, but it will prevent um, four-man outfields as well, which you occasionally saw against hitters like Jose Ramirez. 
um, and others, um, that will no longer be allowed. Um, this is dumb. In, in any, uh, I agree. Just let me finish quick. Any, um, <laughs> any violation of this rule, um, the opposing team would get to choose whether an automatic ball or the result of the play. So they get to pick whichever they want. So if you add a position and they hit a home run, they can still pick the home run. But if they like ground it out, they could say, no, nah, that's a ball instead. This is dumb. I don't like this one. How close to the, to the second base bag can you be? Like, can you be on top of second base and still be in correct alignment as long as one foot is on the proper side of the infield? I believe the, the official rule says that two fielders must be stationed on either side of the second base bag. I don't know if it's one feet or two feet. I'll, I'll look on that for you. That but, is, yeah, um, that's, that could be an interesting, like, clarification. You know, could a yeah, fielder potentially straddle the bag, basically, and be in proper I'm, fielding positions still? I am looking here. Let's see. Because then at that point, I know there there are some serious shifts that are the four man outfield. But at that point, you're you're still I, I feel like you're in essentially the same fielding position that you used to be as a part of the shift. Well, then it seems like people are getting a little bit too upset about it. Then. If you can basically cheat halfway, it's an unnecessary restriction that's just there to help garner more of an offensive game. I agree. I'll be the hot you, take you, guy and say I like it personally. I I am the casual MLB fan that they're trying to get to watch. I think games are boring when I watch nine dudes strike out in a row. One guy hits a home run, walks around the bases, and then we wait 30 more minutes for somebody to get a hit. It'd be nice to see some singles and doubles and people on bases. Like I, I appreciate that that could potentially happen from this ruling. I would like to see that. Whether or not that's like good for baseball or right or whatever have you. I, I won't speak on that, but I think it would make the game slightly more interesting to watch, which is really all I care about. I think based on what Mike comes back to me with, that is going to weigh my opinion on what I, how I feel about this rule. So from MLB.com, um, either side of second base does in fact mean either side of second base. There is not an imaginary dividing line running through the middle of the bag, rather imaginary dividing lines running along the left and right corners of the bag. So there you, you go. Have to you be have to be fully... dis- you have to be distinctly on the line, or well, you distinctly on your side. Yes. The the, the rule. I also, do. I do hate this rule now. The the rule also bans. Um, I will say it bans. Um, like after the pitch is thrown sprinting to a different position in violation of this rule that is also illegal and it also um would make you legal like switching your second baseman and shortstop like for a right-handed batter and then back for a left-handed batter etc that is also illegal why why are we doing that that's stupid. We know why we're doing it. Yeah. What do you mean you don't know why? I just explained They're why. They're doing it for more I, offense. They're doing I it know. for more offense. The why I know, is but obvious. I hate it. I hate it. This is dumb. I, I, I will. I will say that Ariane's point is fair, though. They are trying to garner more right, dumb guys uh, like me. No, no, I'm not going to say dumb baseball. guys. Like I said, casual fans, like people who just try, just get to flip it on, right, to watch uh, whoever. Yeah, play. I, I get that. But at the same time, like, is that worth? I, I I don't want to say ruining the sport because it's not quite that extreme. I don't think it will it, be as going down the, as people want it to be. It's going down the path of making it a game that it's not. Like I don't know. I'm not like I said. I don't like it. I understand why they're doing it, and I think their reasoning is not good. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't like. I think I think people are being a little overly dramatic about it. This is another one. Well, I'll, I'll we'll wait until the season to see how big of a difference we really feel like this makes. It feels like a huge change, but day to day, you may not see as much as you feel like it will change the game. Yeah, but I get that I'm the only guy who likes it, and you know, not coincidentally, I'm the guy who watches baseball the least. So, <laughs> to to. To, well, I'll make two points. So to me, right, this rule change is rewarding bad hitting. Yeah. Right? That, that's what this rule change is doing. But my follow-up point is, Arian, 
you're the type of person they're trying to attract with this rule change. Yeah. They know me, Kyle, and Wyatt are all going to keep watching baseball either way. We're going to complain, but we're going to keep watching it. They're trying to attract people like you to watch more baseball, and maybe they'll succeed. So yeah. I, 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 the, the, in, in that case, the rule is going to be a success, right? Because it's not going to scare people like me and Kyle and Wyatt away from watching baseball, but maybe it makes you watch more. So. No, the it thing that's going to scare me about away from watching baseball is how horrible the, yeah, just the, the Royals. Royals are going to be this season. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, fair. Like, uh, so is that the, the new rules that we have? Because I have a question, if, if that is. That, that is all of the new rules as far as I know, yes. Last year, did they actually codify the Ghost Runner, or did that happen this year? I was year? about to say, oh, all these yes. rule changes, why so didn't we the, get the, rid of the, the Ghost Runner? Well, we don't yeah, because so the man, it's now the, the Manfred Man was actually added to the official rules and will continue. I hate that. I hate that worse than anything else. Anything else that we've talked about, that is the worst rule change ever made. I yeah. do not. I hate the Ghost Runner. It's terrible. Terrible. I would agree with you. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and 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 that's going to be the case for ever now. That that's oh, new Major League Baseball. That's not going. It like, feels like Little League or something. We're like, all right, kids, we can't be here all night. Dad's got to go home and get sleep for the next day of work. Like, just play the so game. The, win the game. The NFL, the NFL took the extra point. The, the extra point was like, oh, this is a guarantee. They moved it back. Now it's not so much a guarantee. Like, there is, there are, like, actionable consequences to that. And especially if you fall start on it, man, that becomes an actual long field goal at that point. You know, the Manfred Mann in, in extra innings of baseball has now become, hey, rather than making it harder to score, let's just give you basically a freebie at this point. It. It's, it's, like it's ridiculous. It was like they couldn't put the rules in that they just did to try and shorten the game. So they're like, man, just put a guy out there so we can all go home. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> I don't know yeah, who I'm, likes it. I don't know why they did it. I've the, never heard the, anybody the, who the, does like it. The, the players like it. The players like it. Yes. The players love this rule. Even the pitchers? Yes. Wow. The pitchers especially love this well, rule. Stand correct. Goes along. Interesting. Right. Well, also, the, the players don't want why, to be but... playing 16 inning games, especially the pitchers. Those I are classics, though. So. But play the game. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree <laughs> that I agree that it is not good for baseball, but it happened because the players like it. They're not trying to put in that OT, you know. They're like, man. Just want to go home, work my forty hours a week, just like the rest yeah. of us. And, and and if and if you want to if you want to talk about limiting injuries, actually avoiding ridiculously long extra inning games is actually a, a legitimate way to avoid injury, to limit That's injury. Fair. But more so than expanding the bases, in my opinion. Yeah, but also, um, I, I know, there was one more rule, Mike, that was recently approved. Uh, position players pitching. Oh yes, I don't really care about that. Well, basically it's they made it they made it harder. Used. Yeah, they made it harder for position players to pitch now by changing the circumstances under which a position player can pitch. Um, so basically, for, you, for you need to be our... ahead or behind by more runs. Do you have the yeah, exact numbers, Kyle? I do. So uh, position players will be restricted to pitch only in situations where their team is leading by 10 or more runs in the ninth inning. Their team is losing by eight or more runs at the time, or the game is in extra innings to al allow for, you know, those, those super long games in which you've already gone through your entire bullpen. That's pretty restrictive. Wow. I'm surprised at how restrictive that is. Very but, restrictive. So, so yeah. ba basically they made, they made, there was never a rule about it. And then they made a rule like two years ago. And since making the rule, the amount of times position players pitch like quadrupled since they added the rule. So then they made the rule more restrictive because they're like, yeah, that's enough of that. Gotcha. So it's one case where they made it. They, they had to make the rule because they made a rule limiting the number of pitchers on a roster, which means they had to, you know, make a rule about when non-pitchers could pitch and then managers were like oh i can have a position player pitch here now okay 
it just like opened them up to the fact that they could do it in situations where they might not have done it otherwise. So they made it more restrictive. Any other questions about the new rules? Nope. Nope. I got to complain about the ghost runner, so I'm happy. Yeah, that that's that's bad. That's the worst of all of these, in my opinion, hundred percent. After rules, as always, comes a write the down prediction segment, and we have a lightning quick accountability session this week because nothing came off the board. So there, we're done. Poof. Moving right along to the predictions. Um, I mentioned just in the last segment that um, spring is here. By my definition of spring, the first day of spring training is the first first day of spring. Mother Nature disagrees with me. We're in line for a major snowstorm in the Twin Cities this week. I'm going to predict that uh, the Twin Cities gets 18 or more inches of snow. Um, so between now, which is 8.15 on Sunday, the 19th for the record, and whenever we record next week's episode. Are we going off of the official measurement from MSP, I would assume? Yes, the, yes, the official National Weather Service measurement at the airport. Yes. Okay. Man, 18 inches is a lot. When is so, the last time that MSP got 18 inches of snow? I, I got. I have two, two forecasts we can look at here. The first one is uh, ECMWF, the, the European model. Basically, and it says over the next 10 days, there will be 16 inches of snow in Minneapolis. However, the GFS says there's going to be 18.4 inches. However, the GFS is usually a less accurate model. Um, so I would tend to trust uh, ECMWF more than anything else. Uh, it probably won't be 18. I would say triple for this one. Oh, I was going to say double. And 16 really? is expected in either way. All you need is a little bit more after that. What's yeah. two more inches after you got 16? That's like the upper limit. I don't think it, it'll happen. Okay, well, I'll leave it up to Pilot so, Boy here. Uh, you know uh, where uh, to come. For, for, the, for the record, only three times in history has there been more than 18 inches of snow in a given storm in the Twin Cities. The, Hall the Halloween blizzard of 1991... Yep, I'm seeing the that. The, the Thanksgiving blizzard of 1985. Um, and then January 22nd to 23rd of 1982. So you're That's due for another one then. You're the in the latest, latest, huh? The, the most recent one that eclipsed, uh, the, eclipsed 15 inches was we, we, 2018, April 13th through the 16th, which is the Thunder Blizzard. And 2010, the, the in which buster. was the Dome Buster. When the Metrodome so, roof collapsed. Yeah, that was um, 17 inches. Man. How much snow have you... This is going to... Uh, how much snow has Minnesota gotten this, this year? We Are had, you under? Are you under? This winter storm don't care about that. Right. Well, I don't... We, I don't. Well, Actually, we had the the 14th biggest snowfall in um, state history happen January 2nd through 5th. So, oh, that was last year. Sorry. Oh, no, that was this year. Yeah, 15 inches. So. Um, yeah. It's a big snow. mess. Yeah, y'all are due for another one. Double. Wow. All right. 18 something wow. has literally only happened three times in, in since 1884 and you're giving I, I, me a double that's some bull crap okay i, I agree okay. with you okay but okay wow you're gonna get bullied you're gonna get bullied into a triple my mind no, i i got what i wanted out of saying double so now i'm i'm you know backing off back to what i was actually gonna give you we might have to put a, another rule into our bylaws that says no, no take backsies or something. <laughs> once, once you say a, a result, that is what the result is. All I know is the model said it was going to happen. So no, the model said it's that the inaccurate model said it might happen. That's fair to me is that it won't happen. Either way, you got a triple, so you don't have to drive to Kyle's house and kill him or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is is there eighteen inches of snow there? If not, maybe I will just for the heck. Oh, yeah. It might be nicer here. It will be nicer here. Uh -huh. It definitely will be nicer. So, All right, so we'll officially give that one a triple. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? 
He's still alive. He looked at my Snapchat asking for a prediction. He read it and decided not to answer. So that is a strikeout for Josh. Womp womp. I'm going to an Iowa Wild game um, this week, and I'm going to predict that they'll win their their game on Tuesday night. Sure. Yeah. I don't know who it's against. I don't know how good they are. (laughs) I know nothing. I just know that I'm going. Single. Single? I think. I don't know. Let me see if I can pull up there. On Tuesday, I looked this up. You got it. On Tuesday, they are playing the. Yeah, on Tuesday, they're playing the Chicago Wolves. Um, It's $2 hot dog day and $2 popcorn day and $3 off Tito's, um, if you're curious. Good to know. Yeah, man. And looking at the standings, um, the Iowa Wild are currently in fifth place in the Central Division. And. Yeah, so so the two dollar popcorn and uh, and hot dogs are only through the end of the first period. It doesn't say there's a limit on the three dollars off Tito's. So keep that in mind. Two dollar hot dogs, a good um, deal. As far as the actual, it is. As far as the actual game results go, currently the Iowa Wild are in fifth place in the Central Division standings with fifty three points, but the Chicago Wolves are in last place with forty three points. So I'd say the Iowa Wild are favored in this game, so this would be a single. Sounds sure. great. Wonderful. What do you got, Kyle? Iowa State men's basketball beats Texas this week. What are we, probably like 42%, maybe 37% if I was going to guess. I haven't looked at it. I mean, according to ESPN's BPI. That's what I was going by. Oh, 21.9. That is low. So that's a triple. Thank you. Okay. Ariad? Well, let's, let's not Whoa, low. Oh, no, 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 no. That's a double. The, those numbers, yeah. That is not a triple. What else can we? That's double territory. I mean, according to the Bartovic, um, let me pull up the Bartovic here quick. See what they have to say. Team rankings has us at a 29.5%. I am annoyingly I'm trying to get the Bartovic to load here, but it isn't. I was going to do my Ken Palm here, but it logged me out, which is annoying. I mean, just based off these numbers, I, I seems like a double to me. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm fine with the double. So I can't get my other stuff. Double because Arian can't get signed into Kempom. Yeah. Sounds good. What do you have, Arian? All right, I have two this week. Uh, the We didn't talk about it, but the Battlehawks just finished their first game today before we recorded. They won. Hakeem Butler had a touchdown in that game. I am going to predict that Hakeem Butler will have at least eight touchdowns for the Battlehawks this season. Uh, For all of us wondering, because I had to look it up before I made this, there are 10 games in the XFL season. So so that would be like the equivalent. Yeah, that'd be like the equivalent of a 12 touchdown year from an NFL wide receiver, right? In 17 games. Maybe a 13, 14 touchdown season. So yeah. triple home run. This is a triple or a home run, right? I mean, it's the XFL. Who knows what's going to happen? I, I'd it's say home run. Hard to tell. The, the league could collapse again for the third time. Yeah, that is also true. I'd say home run. We got rock money this time, so we're good. That's true. That's true. St. Louis is going all the way, baby. <laughs> to whatever the XFL Super Bowl is. I don't know what that is. So, what did we give it? Triple. I like home run. All right, Kyle. I feel like the XFL is going to make a full season 
and just looking at the battle. Uh, I changed my mind. I'm going home run. Sorry, Kai. No, nope, okay. doesn't matter. All right. <laughs> I was gonna say. I, I, was I think good. I said that. I, I said that exact same thing at like the end of 2019 when we were looking at the season starting in 2020. So ah, yeah, that did right. out well. And then I was just struck when we were talking about it. I'm gonna go ahead and predict one that probably will also be a home run in this game coming up. Iowa State at Texas. Tyrese Hunter will end the game with equal to or fewer points than Taman Lipsy. I mean, he's not been playing well recently. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm what sure Tyrese Hunter is averaging more points than uh, yeah. that game's at Texas, right? It is at Texas. Yeah, Tyrese Hunter is averaging nine point seven points per game. And let's see. And. Hunter is Lipsy's average. averaging 7.5, so two points more per game for I'm Hunter. I'm surprised that it's that close, actually. I did not look. Hunter has not been what they thought, what Texas was hoping he would be. He's yeah. not had a great year, especially in conference. Let's see. For the last... For the last four five, games, he's averaging and 10. He's yeah. only scored double digits. One, two, three, four, five, six, two times out of the last eight games. Wow, I did not know. Usually, Lipsy usually Lipsy has a bounce back game. So, man, I don't know. I'm gonna, wow. I'm saying double. Yeah, when I made that, I thought it was gonna be a home run. Now I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, not not this is all the way just there. A double. Yeah, That's double. What I maybe, said, yeah, maybe a triple if you want to no, count double in home court. But yeah, I'm just I going with the did double. Not realize yeah. it was gonna be that close. I mean, he's Good not playing well man. at home. Like home yeah. versus West Virginia seven OU five uh, so, Baylor. Know, we were Baylor giving all 13. this. We were giving all this crap to Taman earlier in the episode. I don't, doesn't look like he's doing that much better than Tyrese, or worse. Yeah, he's been. I wonder how good Tyrese would be at Iowa State, though. Yeah. Anyway, double. Double it double. is. So the strikeout, a single, two doubles, triple, and a home run. We have hit the cycle for the first time in a couple episodes, I think. Uh, which includes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311 Cast, episode 211. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311Cast on both Instagram and the Twitter. Signing off for the 8311 Cast, favorite hosts, Omersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!